Morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many people know the name of the lady who saved Christmas? Okay, how many people know the name of the lady who saved Christmas, right? That's a bit of a blank. Let me, let me narrow the, the question down a little bit. How many people know the name of the lady who saved Christmas in Second Kings? Right, nobody. Brilliant. Great. We're all going to learn something this morning. This is, uh, this is for anybody's visiting. I know there are a number of visitors. Uh, this is our last venture into Second Kings in 2019. Uh, next week, the anticipation begins as we enter Advent, as, as Richard has been saying, and we start that little mini-series called Anticipate. But today, it's still Second Kings. We are going to pick it up again in the new year, I think. Not sure. I know a number of you have said, some of you said you're really enjoying it. Some of you have said you're starting to lose the will. So I need to, I need to work that one out. So uh, today, it's still Second Kings, and it's, it's Christmas. This, there is a children's book called The Girl Who Saved Christmas. Don't know if I, how many of you have seen it. And by far my favorite Christmas movie is The Grinch. It says a lot about me. Which is based on the Dr. Zeus book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. But this morning, and I'll be honest, this was a new discovery for me. We're going to meet someone in Second Kings who's being described as the lady who saved Christmas. So does anybody know her name? Okay, well, please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 11. And while you're looking that up, uh, physically or on a device or something, uh, let me do a quick recap, and then we're going to read a large chunk of the chapter. Jehu was king of Israel, and he, and he reigned for 28 years. And most of what he did during that period, or at least this is how it reads in 2 Kings 9 and 10, most of what he did during that period was kill people, Okay. And when he died, his son, and this is the last verse of chapter 10, if you have a look at it, his son Jehoahaz became king of the northern kingdom. Remember, the kingdom was divided in two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. So Jehu had been king in the north for 28 years, then he dies and his son becomes king in the north. But in Judah, the southern kingdom, Ahaziah had been king, but you'll remember he was killed by Jehu along with Yoram. Remember, Yoram had been killed with that arrow between the shoulder blades which pierced his heart. And at the same time, Ahaziah was mortally wounded and eventually died. Well, in chapter 11, where we get to this morning, we pick up the story in Judah after Ahaziah has died. And so the question is, who's going to be the next king in the south? Please stand with me for the public reading of God's electric and surprising word. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. So the queen mother sees that her son is dead. And so it says she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athaliah so that he was not killed. And he remained hidden with his nurse in the temple for six years 
while Athaliah ruled the land. In the seventh year, Jehoadiah sent for the commanders of units of a hundred, the Karaites and the guards, and had them brought to him at the temple of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath at the temple of the Lord. Then he showed them the king's son. And then he goes on to explain how he wants them to look after this little son. Jump down to verse 12. Jehodiah brought out the king's son and put a crown on him. And he presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. They anointed him and the people clapped their hands and shouted, long live the king. Well, when Athaliah heard the noise made by the guards and the people, she went to the temple of the Lord and she looked and there was the king standing by the pillar as the custom was. And the officers and the trumpeters were beside the king and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And then Athaliah tore her robes and cried out, treason, treason. Jehoadiah the priest ordered the commanders of units of a hundred who were in charge of the troops, bring her out between the ranks and put to the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest had said she must not be put to death in the temple of the Lord. So they seized her. And as she reached the place where the horses enter the palace grounds, there she was put to death. Jehodiah made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. He also made a covenant between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. And they smashed the altars and the idols to pieces and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. And then Jehodiah, the priest, posted guards at the temple of the Lord. And he took with him the commanders of hundreds, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land. And together they brought the king down from the temple of the Lord and went into the palace, entering by the way of the gate of the guards. And then the king took, took his place at the royal throne and all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was calm because Athaliah had been slain with the sword at the palace. Joash was seven when he began his reign. Grab a seat. So, did, did you get the name of the lady? Let's, let's just, uh, before we kind of confirm some of you have got it, let's just backtrack for a moment because this is really important. God had made a promise to David. He made a number of promises to David, but, the, but this was his third promise to David. And you find it in 2 Samuel 7 where he says, listen, your house, David, and your kingdom is going to endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And one of the psalmists actually echoes this in Psalm 89. He says, his line, David's line will continue forever and his throne will endure, me, endure before me like the sun. In other words, the line of David is never going to bite the dust. It's never going to, it's never going to end. And eventually from that line, the future David the messianic king would be born. And so whenever you fast forward to Matthew 1 and to the genealogy that we read first, you see this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And so God's promise came true. That promise that he had made to David way back in 2 Samuel 7, that his line would never end, that promise comes true with the birth of of Jesus and his word, something we've been repeatedly saying throughout this series, God's word was fulfilled. But in 2 Kings, the whole project near came off the rails. 
And if it hadn't have been for one particular lady, a lady called Jehoshiba, who knows what would have happened to Christmas if it hadn't have been for her. And so, Ahaziah is dead. And then his mom does something. Athaliah. She does something that seems completely mad. She takes it upon herself, it says, and this is verse 1 of chapter 1, to destroy the whole royal family. That is the whole royal family of Judah. She sets out to murder them. Now, without going into too much detail, some of you know this, Athaliah is a daughter of Ahab. Now, we don't know if her mom was Jezebel. We're not actually told that. She could have had a mom that was another one of Ahab's wives. But the point is, she did not come, this lady Athaliah, from great pedigree. I mean, parents' influence on their kids is massive. Athaliah did not have a good role model, did not have any good role models growing up. And so she became, in a sense, a product of her environment. And we we know what that environment was like, living in the household of Ahab, who did some of the most horrendously evil things in the eyes of the Lord. But the thing is, although Athaliah was a daughter of Ahab, so therefore she was from the house of Israel, it turns out that she married the son of a king of Judah. And together they had a son called Ahaziah, who became the king of Judah. So the question then is, why is Athaliah, whose husband was king in Judah, why, whenever her son has died, is she now intent on killing every other member of the royal family? Well, look at verse three. She just can't wait to be queen. And she kind of is. And she reigns for six years, although not officially. There's no coronation. There's no anointing. But she just takes it upon herself to be queen for six years. So this is a power thing. This is a power trip. Or maybe it's just plain evil. It's just selfish. It's just totally messed up. And so the line of Judah is decimated. The line of David is wiped out. There is no one to continue it. That promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel 7 is left floundering. Christmas is now never coming. Or is it? Because although this poor crazy woman proceeds to destroy the whole royal family, she misses one. She misses one kid. One one one-year-old who this lady steals. And while Athaliah is killing all the rest of the royal princes, Joash is saved. And she hides him for the six years during the time that Athaliah is queen. And then when he's seven, he is presented before the people and he becomes king for 40 years. And when he dies, his son becomes king and then his son becomes king. And the line continues to Jesus. 
This is the woman who saved Christmas. And none of us have ever heard of her. Isn't that incredible? If this lady hadn't been about, if she had not intervened, things might have turned out so differently. God's promise to David was one infant away from unraveling. Proving false. But this woman saved the day. Actually, she saved a whole lot more. Maybe even saved the world. Certainly had a part in it. She was the human agent responsible for preserving the kingdom of God. And most of us, and me, who like been a Christian for I don't know how long, never heard of her. Never acknowledged her. Here is another one of those unsung heroes of Scripture. Unsung servants who virtually goes under the radar of recognition, and yet she plays a vital role in the purposes of the kingdom of God. She wasn't powerful. She wasn't prominent. But she was willing to serve. She did the right thing. She did a good thing. She did a timely thing. And if nothing else, here's another reminder. And I know we've been across this before. But here is another reminder that God just uses ordinary people. Unknown people that make a massive difference in his world. Nobody else might realize it. Nobody else might acknowledge it. You mightn't think that what you do day in and day out has that big an impact, but it does. That kind word, that right action, that servant heart, that listening ear, that good choice and decision, that open home, that personal invite, whatever it is, your kingdom service matters. And if nobody else ever notices it or acknowledges it, God does. Jehoshiba is the lady who saved Christmas. And until this week, I'd never given her a second thought. I, I love the way Dale Ralph Davison, his brilliant commentary in Second Kings puts it, if Athaliah had had her way, there would have been no angels, no shepherds, no swaddling clothes, no good news of great joy. Today, you'd better thank God for the lady who saved Christmas. Now, before we get back to the story, it, it's probably worth noting how this wasn't the only time in history and in Scripture when a baby boy's life was under threat from powerful figures who were intent of getting rid of an infant who was destined to change history. Give me the name of another baby whose life was under threat who was destined to change history. Jesus, that's the right answer every time. Well done. But, but not just because he was. You're absolutely right. Herod was intent on slaughtering every baby boy in the area under two years of age. But he was saved and he went on to become the savior of the world. But who else? Moses hid for three months and then placed in a basket in the Nile because the Egyptian pharaoh had ordered the slaughter of every Hebrew baby boy. But he was rescued and he grew up and he was powerfully used by God to bring freedom to his people. Moses, Jesus, two more important babies and toddlers who nearly didn't make it. Welcome to our world. 
You know, God's plans and purposes may at times appear to be under severe threat. They may even seem incredibly vulnerable and fragile, but God's in control. And God is powerful and he will accomplish because he is he will accomplish all his sovereign purposes no matter who attempts to derail them no matter who reels against him and so we'll go back to this woman and this little baby or this one-year-old that she saved and who saved christmas let's go back to her well actually let's not go back to her because she's never mentioned again here or in the rest of Scripture. Never mentioned again. And so Joash is hidden in the temple for those six years that Athaliah, who would have been his grandmother, reigns. And when he turns seven, the priest Jehodiah, who had made sure that this little kid was well protected during his six years that he's hid in the temple, But when he's seven years of age, Jehodiah brings him out and proclaims him as the new king. And it says he anoints him and the people celebrate and they join in one voice and they shout, long live the king. And Athaliah, who is the fake queen, she hears all this because she didn't get an invite to the coronation. She hears all these shouts and screams and it says she runs to the temple to discover that this little seven-year-old is standing there proclaimed as king. And she shouts treason, treason, which is priceless coming from her. She's treason, treason. And then she's hauled out of the temple because people knew we can't, we can't kill her in here. So let's take her outside, stick a sword through her. Do you know at that place where the horses come into the palace? Let's do it there. And so what you've got is justice and judgment playing out once more, which is one of those recurring themes that we keep coming back to. So the question now is, how is this young seven-year-old going to get on as king? Well, before we kind of turn over and find out, look again at what happened during his coronation. Because it says, yes, he was crowned. He was proclaimed. And he was anointed. Those were all kind of like standard things that happened at a coronation. But it also says he was presented with something And this is what begins to make a huge difference. He was presented with something by Jehodiah. It says Jehodiah presented him with a copy of the covenant. Here was a reminder to the seven-year-old that the law of God, this covenant law of God, that is what should dictate and determine and influence both his personal life and his life as a king. And this idea dates way back to Deuteronomy 17, pre the first king, where God outlines to Moses, listen Moses, this is the way it works Whenever a king gets enthroned, this is the way it is meant to be. And so we read in Deuteronomy 17, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law taken from that of the Levitical priests. And it is to be with him. And he's to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not to consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. 
And so this was pretty clear. This was the way it was meant to be. This was the way kings were meant to live. But as history tells us, lots of them clearly didn't. They ignored God's law. They ignored God's covenant and guidelines and personal instructions for how to live their lives and do the job they've been called to do. They certainly didn't write them out. They didn't even read them ever, it would seem. And therefore, time and time again, king after king veers off track, compromises their worship, leads people in all kinds of stupid directions, then basically make a complete hymns of being a king. The written word of God as they had it didn't appear to make a blind bit of difference to their choices and their decisions and their attitudes and their words and their behavior and their leadership and their worship. And so as a result, most of them were a right royal disaster. And again, if nothing else, there is something, and again, we keep coming back to this, but there's something here for us about the importance of God's word in our lives. This has been given to us. And we know that we cannot live on bread alone, as we've been thinking about this morning, really. But we must survive on every word that comes from God. This has been given to us so that we will know how to do life, how to live life, how to make choices, how to do relationships, how to worship God. Joash is presented with a copy of the covenant, the law of God. So you think to yourself, right, how's he going to get on? Because this is such a good start. And as you go into chapter 12, and verse 2, you read this really encouraging phrase, which you haven't read for some time, and your heart begins to beat a little faster because you think, yes, there's hope. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years that Jehudiah the priest instructed him. It's so good. For so long we've been here and so and so became king and did what in the eyes of the Lord? Evil. Here is someone who's going to buck the trend. Here's someone who's going to do life, life differently, who's going to rule differently. See that copy? See that covenant? That clearly has impacted his young life. Because he did what was right. Or at least that's the way it seems. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And isn't it interesting that he appears to have a teacher, a mentor who journeyed with him? Jehodiah walks part of his journey with him. It says, instructed him. How long, we don't know. But having someone in your life who journeys with you is an incredible privilege. And I know many of our young people have got mentors. Many of our young adults are seeking mentors. Some of our adults in the church are looking for others to journey with them. And we keep coming back to that question, who is discipling you and who are you discipling? Because that, that, that's what we're meant to be doing. Who's discipling you? Who are you discipling? Well, here was Joash being discipled, if you like, being instructed but Jehadiah. And so you think, brilliant. This looks all so good. And if only verse three didn't exist. 
in chapter 12. If only we could go to verse 4. But we can't. And so after you read this, what is the very next word? Nevertheless. And your heart sinks. Or if you've got a different verse and it says, yet even so. And now this is these these qualifying terms that rings alarm bells and you know something's coming. Something's going to come that's just going to like explode the situation and just shatter your hopes and dreams for this new king. And it says, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. And the people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. You see, compromised worship was still alive and well. The temptation to engage in the wrong kind of worship remained and the people caved in and they went for it. And Joash had the opportunity to remove these high places. That's clearly the implication of the text, but he didn't do that. And so despite these initial positive comments and beginning, you're left nervous thinking, how is this now gonna go? That presented covenant that he was given as a seven-year-old, that would have been really explicit about things like having no other gods before the one true God. That would have been really explicit about having no idols. But for some reason, whatever reason, Joash decided to entertain and allow the worship and the sacrifice to other gods. And you see, once you give anything, once you give those other idols and gods a foothold, they have a habit of bedding down in your life and in your culture and in your society. And so Joash started so well. He did was right in the eyes of the Lord. Yet, even so, he began to compromise his worship. Last week, as we reflected on Jehu's 28 years as a king in the north, we said he didn't finish well for two reasons. And the two reasons were these. If you were here last week, you may remember this. The two reasons were partial obedience compromised worship. And here in chapter 12, there's a huge sense of deja vu. And the rest of the chapter, and read it for yourself later, the rest of chapter 12 tells us about Joash's life. And most of his life, it seems, is taken up with the repairs of the temple, which in itself is a good thing. But as you read it, it all turns out of a bit of a mess because why? Money becomes a preoccupation and focus. Money becomes a preoccupation and focus. And so whenever this hostile and foreign king attacks Jerusalem and threatens to overrun the people of Jerusalem, Joash buys this foreign king off by doing what? He plunders the sacred gifts in the temple treasury and he gives them to the king of Aram. He literally sells out. And as many of you know, Second Chronicles is a kind of parallel record of many of these kings' stories. And in Second Chronicles 24, the chronicler tells us how Joash's life ends, and it's not pleasant. And as you read this, your heart kind of sinks because it's such a great start. Because it says, after the death of Jehudah, so there was his mentor, there was his teacher, he had died. I don't know how long he journeyed with him and walked with him, but eventually he died and left Joash. And after that, the officials, it says, in 2 Chronicles 24 came and paid homage to Joash and he listened to them. And this 
They abandoned the temple of the Lord. They abandoned the God of their ancestors. They worshiped the Asherah poles and idols. And because of their guilt, it says, God's anger came on Judah and Jerusalem. And although the Lord sent prophets to bring them back, and although they testified against them, none of these people would listen. And then it says, the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, who was the son of Jehudiah. And he stands before the people of God and he says, why have you disobeyed the Lord's commands? And when you do that, you will not prosper. And because you have forsaken the Lord, the Lord's going to forsake you. But they plotted against Zechariah. And then it says this, by order of the king, by order of Joash, they stoned him to death. And then you read this line. King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jehudi had shown him, but just killed his son. So once his mentor had gone, Joash lost his way. The people lost their way. And whenever someone came along and challenged them, what did they do? They killed him. And they killed him with Joash's permission and blessing. And then you read after that, the end of chapter 12 of 2 Kings, the Joash's servants conspired against him, struck him down, and killed him. And so what started so promisingly ended so tragically. It's not only how you start that matters, it's how you finish that counts. And you could say, yeah, it was a miracle that Joash ever became king. And it's brilliant to know that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and that he had a mentor for a period of time. But see, as a result of these two things, he drifted. And he ended up doing things that completely contradicted everything that he knew he was right. Verse 21 says, and I'm nearly done. Verse 21 says that his son became king, which is brilliant because as a result of his son becoming king, the line of David, the line of Judah continues to Jesus. And so as we leave here this morning, I want to invite you to do two things. Here's the two things I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to thank God for the lady who saved Christmas. Here's the woman who ensured the line of Judah will continue that leads to Jesus, that leads to our Savior, that leads to the hope we have and the reason we meet here this morning that we can sing the Lord's my shepherd and the reason we can praise God from whom all blessings flow and the reason we can sit around this table and eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus is because of someone like this. And the second thing I want us to do is to be aware of partial obedience and comp- because they will derail you. They will take you off track. They will lead you somewhere you never wanted to go. And so what do we do? We look to the Christmas child, to Jesus, the living word, the one who forgives and restores, the one who understands, the one who knows that we are tempted in every way, yet he's without sin, and yet he wants to help us in our time of need. And so he knows your life, and he knows my life, he knows what we're going, what's going on. He knows how hard it is to be completely obedient and how to stay true to our faith. 
So we need to continually, as the Hebrew writer tells us, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so as we go from here this morning, fix our eyes on Jesus, the living word, but also let's look to scripture, God's written word, to be our guide. And so that if we don't have a human teacher, instructor, mentor, that we at least, that our lives are being dictated by this.